of some of you, maybe most of you actually may not uh, know uh, Janice Dad. I've known Janice Dad for 20 years, at least 20 years now, now that he's at home. And um, I think we can now say about those that are now at home, that is one of those very, what do I want to say, very kind and gentle souls. Uh, for those that have that have come into contact with him, they would testify to his uh, character and um, <clears throat> his testimony uh, for the Lord. And so he is a loss to us, but a gain for heaven. But nonetheless, the Lord is still on the throne, and we continue to worship him and thank him for his life. And I'm sure Janet would appreciate our support. I'm talking about Janet because he's our immediate um, member of our assembly uh, during this very difficult time. Now turning to the word of the Lord, um, we continue from chapter 8 where Brother Sid left last week and uh, my portions will be starting from verse 16 uh, of the same chapter and all the way into chapter 9 up to uh, verse 5. I'm just going to read, read through uh, from my Bible. You can either listen to me or maybe you can follow through your Bible uh, and then we'll try and see. Uh, talk about some of the things that the Lord has laid in my heart about this particular passage. I'll start from verse 13 for continuity say. For I mean not that other men be eased and be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that they be, there may be equality, as it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no leg. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For indeed he accepted the exhortation by being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches, and not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us uh, with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. <laughs> Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance, which is administered by us, providing for earnest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, who we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. Or our brethren be required of, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Chapter 9. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for us to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia and Achaia was ready a year ago. 
and your zeal had provoked very many. You have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, you may be ready, lest haply if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we that we say not ye should be ashamed in this same confidence boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to, be, to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty or your blessing, whereof you had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty or blessing and not as of covetousness. And as always, we trust that the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Last week, um, as we were driving in the car with uh, 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 Brian and Angela, <laughs> Brian said to me, what a strange passage that was read today. And I totally understand uh, because um, the wording of, um, especially the King James, can be very difficult to follow what was being said. If myself, sometimes I get lost in the woods. Uh, but uh, we'll try and simplify some of the things just to understand what uh, we are talking about. This is a very practical matter. The issue here is the issue of giving. Uh, Abrasid gave the background of what the circumstances here were, that there are saints in Corinth uh, that had intended or intentioned to make a collection for the saints that are in Jerusalem. Now, there is something that we can take right away from what we are observing practically in this scenario. You remember that the Jews in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the system was centralized. So when it came to the welfare of people, the system that was institutionalized was centralized and administered federally. So the whole giving aspect of things was very, very pres prescribed. It was commanded. So at certain seasons, you bring this, you bring that, you bring that, and probably you've heard the word tithing being thrown around. That is a concept that very much came from the Old Testament. So all those commanded, prescribed requirements were really the way that God had set out Israel as a nation so that everybody would be looked after. Now, when you come to the New Testament, this is now different. In the wisdom of God, God chose a new system for the church. It is important that we also make a distinction. This is some of the areas where we have to recognize the distinction between a New Testament church and the nation of Israel. God is still the same, but perhaps it's one of those things that we need to understand the program of God as it unfolds because there were things that were done at a certain time for a specific reason and things that then sort of evolved as time went by, as God unfolded his plan further. We even today that are living to that are living now as New Testament believers, we know that there is going to come a time when the things that we practice now or the things that we see now will no longer be applicable 
We know that in the new Jerusalem, in the new world, we are going to live in a completely different dimension. We know that in the millennium, we are also going to live in a completely different dimension. So there is going to be different ways in, way, in which things will be occurring for people at that time. And therefore, it is important that we recognize each dispensation in its own right. Not that they are separate from the others, but because God's plan is unfolding systematically throughout time. So now as we come to New Testament believers, now the care of the saints of New Testament believers is no longer, to, is no longer going to be federally administered. So they will no longer have the privilege of the Jewish um, nation where people would go to the temple because the temple was at a collection. And through that collection, they would minister to poor people, to widows, and things like that. That is how the system was set up in the Old Testament. So all that tithing, those prescribed tithing, all those 10 percentages were the system that God instituted. And by the way, it's not just 10%. If you actually add it up, all the taxes that were uh, prescribed in the Old Testament, it's more than 10%. But when we come to the New Testament now, as a New Testament believer, we see a different system now. So instead of the saints now going to have their needs met centrally, federally, God is now telling us a different methodology to look after each other. So now we are seeing a system where now the saints that are somewhere else, a church that is in Corinth, in Macedonia, Achaia, which is uh, Greece and so forth, now they are taking their things that they have to minister to saints that are in Jerusalem. It is no longer a case of going to the temple, to the priests, to be ministered to centrally, but now God is instituting a system where the churches look after one another. This is a new concept to the first century Jew. This is a new structure that God is formulating in his church. It's different from the structure that the Jewish as a nation were living under. So in this structure, the Apostle Paul <clears throat> had, sent the, had sent Titus beforehand to go and prepare a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. So when the saints in Corinth heard this, they jumped to the idea. And so much so that when they did so, when you read in chapter 9, you find that when other churches heard what the church at Corinth had done, they were provoked. This is a positive word. They were encouraged to follow suit. Oh, look at what the saints in Corinth, in Corinth are doing. They are collecting for the saints that are in Jerusalem. So when they heard this, they themselves were exercised in their own hearts. And they made their own collections as well. Why? Because this aspect was now being contagious across the churches. Because this is how God intended for his church to function. This is God's structure to make the church persecution proof. Because if, especially when we consider the day that we live in today, if the church depended on the state, federally, 
centrally for the support. The church would then dictate how the church, the, sorry, the, 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 the government would then dictate to how the church would operate. Now, don't mistake me. We are grateful for the benefits that we enjoy from the government. We are grateful for um, whatever it is that we, manage, that we manage to gain from the government, that the government gives us. We are grateful for that, absolutely. But as a church, functioning as a church, the structure that we see here is that God is encouraging us or is formulating his church to live in such a way that the church is not dependent on the government, but the church is responsible for each other. This is a new concept. Now, we are seeing now some of the things that perhaps they were a shadow <clears throat> in the Old Testament. We're now seeing them coming to light now to show us what they actually meant. You remember when Israel was walking in the wilderness and God gave them manna. Scripture tells us that whoever collected more did not have more. Whoever collected less did not have less. They all had enough. They were all satisfied. They were all looked after. Nobody was lacking. Now we see that being explained to us in the New Testament. God's idea from the very beginning. So you wonder, why would God not give manna once a month? Right? He, draw, he gives the manna once a month and he says, right, go and collect for the whole month. But if you read in the Old Testament, you will find that God gave manna only for one day. Only for one day. Until day number six. And then day number six he would give for two days. Why did God do that? But now what we see here is that God is actually, his plan was actually trying to show to us that if, imagine, if you, Israel had to collect one day for the whole month, those who could collect more would collect abundantly over and above, more than those who, didn't, who, could, who could not collect more for whatever reason, disabled or whatever, right? And then they would have more throughout the month. But because God gave man, manna only for one day, it meant that even those who collected more, they would have no use of it come next day. It would go bad. So there would be no, there would be no propensity to be greedy. They tried. They tried to be greedy, remember? They tried to collect it, and, 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 they, and but next day, it became bad. It became unconsumable. Because God's plan was that nobody would have more than the other. It's going to be enough for everybody for that moment. So even the greedy, no matter how much they collected, it will be only be enough for one day. For those who collected less, they will also be satisfied for one day because next day God is going to provide for that next day. So in the end, whether you were rich, whether you were poor, you had enough for one day. And this is what uh, the Apostle Paul is, is bringing out here to say, look, he that had gathered much had nothing over and he that had gathered little had no lack. In the end, there was equality. Why? Because God loves his people. And because God loves his people, God wants his people to love one another. One of the most fundamental characteristics of Christianity 
is not going to church. And frankly, is not even praying. The things that people will know us about, that will recognize us as Christians, is what? Our love for one another. What is the second greatest commandment? To love one another. Now we are seeing this in practice. We are seeing this being done and we are being, it's written down for us to see and to, um, to emulate this. We no longer can be immune or be indifferent to the sufferings of fellow Christians. Why? Because the church structure that we are in as New Testament believer is one body but who is the head of the body? It is Christ. It's no longer the government. It is Christ. And because we are one bodies scattered throughout all the four corners of the world, but with Christ as the head, we have as much interest with each other as Christ has, has for us. So we are now responsible to look after one another and to take care of each other's needs. So the saints in Corinth couldn't just sit there and do nothing whilst the saints in Jerusalem were suffering. And equally, the saints that were in Macedonia couldn't just do nothing whilst the saints in Jerusalem were suffering. So this is the background. So let's see some of the things that we can learn from uh, the passage that we just read. So as the Apostle Paul intends to go to Corinth, at some time, he intends to go to Corinth. And there is a chance that when he goes to Corinth, read this from chapter 9, he, is, he might come with people from Macedonia. Now, remember, these people from Macedonia, they heard that the saints at Corinth had made a collection. And because of that news, they themselves then made a collection. The saints from Macedonia. And so now, there is a prospect of the Apostle Paul now going to Corinth with some of these Macedonians. So as you can imagine, these Macedonians will be going to Corinth thinking to themselves, oh, we made a collection after we heard about these saints in Corinth who had made a collection. But it seems the saints in Corinth, they started very well. They started making this collection, but for some reason, they stopped. And now the Apostle Paul is going to go into Corinth with Macedonians, and he says, he's saying to myself, if I go to Corinth with these Macedonians, and then these Macedonians, they get there to Corinth, and they realize that the saints in Corinth actually didn't make the collection in the first place. When they were actually the inspiration for their collection, it would be an embarrassment. So the Apostle Paul now writes to the, to the Corinthians, to the saints in Corinth, and he says to them, look, I'm going to come. I might come with Macedonians, right? But remember, I am still waiting for the collection that you started collecting one year ago. And now we read here that he sends with them Titus. And there's something that we read about Titus here. This is once again another lesson that we see here of the saints having an interest in each other. 
For indeed, he accepted exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. Titus himself had an interest in the saints at Corinth. Titus himself had love for the saints in Corinth. And so he goes. And this time, he does not go alone. We see him being sent with two additional brothers. Now, these were not told what their names are. But you know where their names are written? In heaven. We never get to know who these people were, these two brothers, or the exploits. I mean, he gives us a window, a little bit of what they are known for. There are many, many saints whose names are not famous. They're not in the front books. They're not in the newspapers. They're not in the tele in television. They're not in the news. They're just nobodies. But who toil for the things of the Lord? God knows them. And only eternity will reveal those people to us. We sometimes spend so much time trying to make our names for ourselves in the things of God. That's wrong focus. The focus is our names to be known by the Lord. If nobody else knows about you, but the Lord does, it is enough. We don't do the Lord's work to be known. We don't. We don't seek fame for ourselves. We don't. If nobody else knows us, but we work ourselves to the ground on the things of the Lord and we are known by the Lord, it is good enough for me. Why does the apostle send two brothers? We can take lessons here. We know that these people, first of all, they are vetted. The work of the Lord is not for anybody who just lifts up their, their hand and they come in and then we just, here we go. These are vetted people. When you read about them from verse 18 and also the second, um, the second brother in verse 22, you can see here what we can call a letter of commendation, so to speak. There is wisdom in this practice, in my opinion. There is wisdom because we know that the first brother, we sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. We commend unto you, brother so and so, whose praise is in, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches, and not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us, with this grace or gift, which is administered by us. This takes away some of the risks that we sometimes face as a church. When people come in, into a local church, strangers that you do not know, we love people, 
by our character as Christians. But at the same time, there is wisdom to say, we need to know who those people are. If these brothers had just walked in into, uh, into the church at Corinth, and the, the, the saints in Corinth do not know them, they could have been anybody. They could have been anybody. And in fact, when you read the letters of the Apostle Paul, you can see that he has been fighting all manner of things that are happening within the churches. How did that happen? Because some people had infiltrated the church and brought in all manner of, of disturbing things and causing uh, restlessness within the saints. But what we see here is that the Apostle now writes rise in advance to the saints at Corinth to say, look, Titus is not going to come alone. He is going to come with these brothers. Who are these brothers? These brothers have worked with us. We vouch for these brothers. We know them. We know their testimony. You can receive them amongst yourself as saints. That takes away the risk of all manner of people infiltrating the church, claiming to be Christians without any evidence to it or any testament to which the church can point to as to who they are. And then before you know it, down the line, the leaven has crept into the church and the church is in trouble because unknown people came in their midst. We see this, Romans chapter 16, you see the Apostle Paul writing about Phoebe. He commends Phoebe. It's a very well-known practice. Even in the, this, this very book, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you see the Apostle Paul talking about this, saying, look, do I even need a, a letter of, of commendation to write to you people? Do, do I need to be intro, introduced and be explained to you? You people yourselves, you know us. You know us. We have been amongst you. You yourself, you are a letter of commendation unto us. So we see that this is a practice that was very practiced in, in, in early church to, 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 to protect the church of God and, and, and to make sure that people are known who, who join any local assembly. Another thing that we can learn from this is that he says, Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance, which is administered by us. Providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. What can we learn from this? Transparency. Transparency with the finances. And if you go back, he says, we're doing all this to the glory of the same Lord. Who owns those resources? The Lord does. They are not doing this so that they can buy fancy cars. Now, I've got nothing against fancy cars in of itself. 
But let us be clear, they are not doing this for themselves. They recognize these resources that they are collecting together, that ultimately these resources are going to be used for the glory of the Lord. Now, let's hit home a little bit close. How do we use our resources? We are not commanded to give 10% as New Testament believers. You won't find it in New Testament Bible teaching. If, if, if you go in verse 8, it says, I speak not by commandment, because this is not a commandment. Now, the order, the teaching of a New Testament believer is much higher than 10%. Why do I say so? Because the resources that you have, God knows what they are. I'm not going to ask for the, for the balance in your bank account, but God knows how much you have in your bank account. Secondly, if the resources that you have, what do you consider them to be? To whom do you think they belong? Do they belong to you? Or do they belong to the Lord? Because that is going to determine how you use your resources. We are not commanded to give 10%, 10%. So does it mean that then we are free not to give at all? God calls us to a much higher standard, which is from the heart. Our love is what persuades us to give, not a percentage. Our status that we are in is what God expects us to give from. What does that mean? God does not expect us to give more than what we have. I say this, I'm 45 years old now, and I say this with experience in my life. You, I have seen, sadly, within churches, you see pastors churning out and cajoling people out and arm-twisting people out and trying to squeeze every penny that they could out of the saints. And there are saints who even end up in debt. They can't even feed their own homes. They can't feed their children. But But they give to church leaders to fly in private jets. Now, like I said, if God tells you today in your own heart to give, I will not stand in the way because God knows what you have. But what we know is that 
For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man has, and not according to that he has not. Do not go into debt to tithe. As far as I can see, it is unbiblical. Because God does not expect you to give something that you do not have. So we're not, supposed, we're not commanded to give 10%. So what does, where does that leave us? If you read in, in James chapter 2, Scripture also makes a forceful argument. Why would your brother be naked outside when it is within your power to clothe them? Why would people within your church be hungry when you can afford to buy them something? Now, this is not 10%. And this is not something that the elders of the church would come to you and say, oh, so-and-so, go and buy so-and-so for so-and-so. We won't do that. We won't do that. Do that. We, are, we are drawn to the Lord not because we are commanded or because we have been put a gun against our head. We are drawn to the Lord because we love our Lord. Everything that we do oozes from that, our love for the Lord. The reason that you would buy for somebody is not because an elder says so. It's because of the cord of love that we have towards one another. We cannot stand the suffering of any saint amongst ourselves. If you find yourself as a believer being indifferent with the pain that is within your assembly, brother or sister, go and search your heart. Go and repent. We cannot be indifferent when there is suffering within, within ourselves. Why? Because we love one another. So the Apostle Paul is going to send two, I'm going to finish with this. He's going to send two people to accompany Titus. Why? Because of transparency. It is important in the handing of these resources of the Lord, that we are transparent about it. We are not a secret society. Now, by being transparent, does it mean that we go about uh, publishing on a Tesco notice board our, the, the, the assembly bank account? That's not what we mean. By transparency, we mean that for everybody who is in fellowship here, they should be confident and be satisfied and be aware of how the resources of the church are being used. Here, you notice that when we count an offering, it's two people who count the offering. It's not because we do not trust the people who count the offering. No, it's transparency. We want people to have confidence in the way the finances uh, in this assembly are, are, are being done. At the end of every year, I know 2022 hasn't been done yet, but we also do publish our accounts. I do the accounts myself, and I am happy to answer any questions to anyone who is in fellowship of why this is so. We clearly, because these are not the elders' money, 
These are not anybody's money. And indeed, we are not indifferent to the suffering of saints elsewhere. Our brother Jim is still scouring the Middle East trying to find. Whilst we have love, we are also we also recognize that the resources that we have, they are the Lord's. We are not going to be careless about them either. So we, as an assembly, we will not just dish about. We don't, we don't do that. So we are still trying to look for credible Christians that we know that have been affected by the, by the, by the events in Turkey and in Syria. And if we get credible Christians that we can trust, that we know that they will channel these resources to, We'll be more than happy to share what we have as an assembly. And I am sure we all agree that if there are Christians that are suffering elsewhere, we've got to look after one another. This is what it's about, isn't it? This is practical Christianity. Now, where does that leave us? How much should we give to the Lord? What is giving? To the Lord. In the Old Testament, they would give it to the temple. What is giving to the Lord as a New Testament believer? It is not that blue box. Giving to the Lord is a new as a New Testament believer is meeting the need that the Lord points to you and you have the means to meet it. First, in his household and then we can take care of the rest of the world. I am a living testimony and I think I'm one of the few who has that right to say so. For eight years I had no job, I had no employment, I had no right to work. There are people that I know who could work, and indeed I could work because I was invited in many ways to work illegally. I could have done that. But the Lord's faithfulness and the faithfulness of the saints here, North Shields, Canada, America, Scotland. They contributed to my well-being for eight years. People I never knew. But because a need came to their ears of some poor African guy in Gated, they were touched. And they provided a roof, food on the table, and a bed to lie in. Christianity is practical. I don't care how many times you come to church. It is your life out there that really counts for a true Christian. Christianity, true Christianity is how you conduct yourself. True Christianity is when you show me who you are, then I can believe that you are a Christian. May the Lord help us to become better Christians. May the Lord stay our hearts when we see it practical things such as this. This is not for head knowledge. 
This is so that it can transform us from the inside. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be rich. May the Lord help us as we strive to be like him. Father, we thank you, O Lord and our God, that your voice is very clear to our ears and to our hearts. We thank you, O Lord Jesus, for the things that